0: Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 1 through 6. Um, Open up your Bible and get to Matthew chapter 7. When you get there, say, "He He is good. All right, if you don't have a Bible with you, I want one in front of you. So we have a paperback Bible right there in front of you in the pew back. And if you don't own one, that's our gift to you. We love to give out God's Word, and what a great gift for the new year. Fall in love with that thing. Write your name in it. Mark it up. Fall in love with Christ in those pages. Amen? All right. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the Word of the Lord, and you respond with... All right, Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Judge not that you, be ju- that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First... Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, again, we're glad that you're here with us. Um, We're continuing in our journey. Through the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been in this uh, series for a while here at Westside. We love the Bible, so we just kind of go verse by verse through books or various aspects of the Scripture. And I tell you what, we've had like babies in the womb and babies born during the sermon series. We've been in this thing so long. And um, we've had a lot of questions like, hey, what's coming up? What's coming after the Sermon on the Mount? And one of the questions that's really arose during this series is we've learned a lot about the kingdom of God. And Jesus has sort of taught us how to live. But one of the questions that sort of have come up through community groups and lots of different aspects is, man, this is the type of world that I live in. It looks like this. And it's very difficult to love Jesus in this environment because this environment doesn't really love Jesus. And so um, we've really been praying and just studying the scriptures. And there's really one book of the Bible that talks a lot about what it is to live for God In an environment that doesn't love God. And that's the Old Testament book of Daniel. And so starting in a couple of weeks after this sermon series, we're going to walk verse by verse. Through the Old Testament book of Daniel in the first six chapters. And it's pretty incredible when you see a guy who stands up for the scriptures, but he still has compassion for his culture. And so we want to be people who still have compassion, but still have convictions at the same time. So, what we always say anytime we start a sermon series is hey, this is a great time to invite someone, someone who doesn't go to church, someone who hasn't been to church in a while, and this sermon series is going to lead us all the way up to Easter. So, we're really, really excited about this. And we're here in a pretty peculiar passage, probably um, according to Google, which it's got to be true if it's on Google, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, According to Google, this passage of scripture is one of the top 10 most Googled scriptures in all of the Bible. Do not judge, right? Pretty famous stuff. Raise your hand if you've ever heard somebody say that to you or something like that. Don't judge, man. Don't judge, right? Um, Check this out. This is pretty interesting. So uh, one of the first Bible classes I ever took, before you get into theology, before you get into Greek, before you get into anything, that you go through a class called hermeneutics. Uh, It's a big word, and like guys pay tens of thousands of dollars for seminary, and I'm giving it away to you for free right now, right here, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, what, what you learn about in hermeneutics are these two words. The first one is exegesis. Exegesis comes from the Latin word, which means to draw out from. So it means that you have a starting point, you have a source, and from that source, you draw out implications, right? So which is why the style of teaching that we do here at Westside is called exegetical, which means from the passage. But there's also a similar word that means the exact opposite in the Latin, and that's called eisegesis. Eisegesis means to lead into the passage. So, when you come to the Bible, you actually have two ways that you approach it. You either come to the Scriptures and draw implications from the Scriptures and their context, or you lead into the Scriptures what you would like, which would go, I think God needs to be this way. I, th- I would like people to say this to me. I would like Jesus to be this type of person. And so you lead into the passage with principles and thoughts that you already have. And the reason why I say that is because in our passage today, the title of the series is called Jesus Uncensored. So we're having Jesus speak for himself. We are drawing principles from what Jesus has said rather than bringing principles that we would like Jesus to say into the passage. And I think really there's two primary reasons why people really take this do not judge out of context, blast it all over social media and do all types of things. For the first one, for non-Christians, it's self-defense, right? So, hey, yo, before you get all up in my Kool-Aid, I believe the Jesus that you love says don't judge, so peace, mic drop, I'm out of this conversation. You know what I mean? And so it's a way that we can sort of defend and go, hey, I don't want you all up in my life with some sort of standard that I don't like. So self-defense, do not judge. And let me in on, I'm going let you in on a little secret. Christians actually use it for self-defense too, right? You know what I mean? But Christians primarily use it for a different reason. Christians use it for self-righteousness. So we think because we love this book and we love Jesus, you probably don't struggle with this, but some people struggle with this, that they've got it all figured out. And Jesus actually calls those people Pharisees, actually, in the Scriptures. And so the standard of do not judge is sort of this self-righteous aspect when they come to this passage. But do you see a common word in both of those descriptions? Self. Me, right? Me. Me. You have a lot more in common with Terrell Owens than what you would think, because Terrell Owens says, I love me some me, baby. You know what I mean? He even sold t-shirts that said that. And what we struggle with is ourselves being at the center. But if you would remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us how to live a kingdom life. What does the kingdom of God look like? The rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And it is the exact opposite of a self-absorbed life. It rather has Jesus at the center and then actually Jesus says that you should place the care for other people in front of the care of yourself. And I know what some of you are saying, but no, man, Jesus still says, don't judge. I'm going to stick to that. I got picket signs. I got bumper stickers, the whole thing. Well, again, let's use exegesis and look at the text itself. So have your Bible in front of you. I want to show you a few things. Look in verse 3 what Jesus says. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Question. Did Jesus just make a judgmental statement about what's in my eye? Because if he did, he needs to heed his own words, brother, right? Looks like Jesus is already making a judgmental statement. How about this? Verse 5. You hypocrite. Wow, Jesus... Chill out, bro. You know, I don't think like if Jesus had a Twitter account, I don't think he'd have many followers. But it'd be fun to tweet out stuff like that, right? (laughs) You hypocrite. That sounds like a pretty judgmental statement to me. How about verse six? Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs. I love what the King James says: "Swine, right? Swine." Question: Did Jesus just call people dogs and pigs? Sounds pretty judgmental to me. Um, Look in verse 15. Beware of false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing. Wow. Jesus seems to be making judgments and aspects. So now, don't you love it? Don't you feel the tension in the room, the awkwardness already? Isn't it great? So what does Jesus really mean? If he said don't judge, and it's in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we've been, but it seems to be that he's making some judgmental statements or some critical statements, what does he really mean? Here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what poor judgment is, bad, wrong, poor judgment, what proper judgment is, and then principles for that judgment. So the first thing that we look at is this, poor judgment. How does this happen, Jesus? What is poor judgment? Poor judgment happens when, number one, You are more concerned with other people's sins than your own. (laughs) That's just the first point. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Look at what Jesus says in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log That is in your own eye. You know one of the things I get so down about when I read like theology books and professors and they're all like, well, Jason, the imputed righteousness clearly comes from the immaculate conception. And they'll, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. Yeah, that's great and that's good. They never talk about Jesus' humor, right? Jesus is totally using sarcasm here, man, right? He's like speck in your eye, log in someone else's eye. And Jesus is saying this, wrong judgment happens when you are so concerned about something so small in someone else's life and you got a big fat booger in your nose, okay? Let's just 2018 terms, you know what I mean? Jesus is saying, whoa, time out, pause, pause. Before you become Paul Blart the mall cop and you go around, right, tasing everybody, no real authority, but you're gonna write everybody else's stuff down, have you evaluated your own relationship with me first? Right? Right? Wrong judgment happens when you're first so concerned about someone else, right? And you know these people. And here's what we do like, as Christians. We use Christianese and camouflage. And we say these things, but we camouflage them in prayer requests. So here's what you do at community group, right? Um, before we close in prayer, I've just got one quick thing about, um, well, I probably shouldn't say. Well, Susie, Susie's really, she's struggling in her marriage, and it's just, um, you know, they're kind of got some financial problems. And uh, Well, we just need to pray for them, so let's just pray for them right now. Just pray. Awesome. Great. You just camouflaged gossip and uses Jesus' name for that, okay? Poor judgment happens when you're so concerned with someone else rather than yourself first. Secondly, he says this. Poor judgment happens when you treat people like problems Look in verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye? Right? Here's what Jesus is saying. These people go around with magnifying glasses all the time, right? 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 And here's something I see all the time through premarital counseling, through counseling, through dating, through everything. And this is just a good word for everyone in the room, and it's this You can't save anyone. Let us pray. <laughs> right? And I'm so down with the philosophy of, well, Jason, he's a good guy deep down inside, and I know that he struggles with this, 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 and this, but I just think if I get him in my life, I'll change him. Right? And the problem with that is, is you're crazy too. Okay? <laughs> right? Let's go back to step number one, what Jesus said. Right? You're not going to change crazy because you haven't dealt with your own crazy. Okay? Okay? And listen to me, listen, look, Christians have got a bad rap for years because people are not problems to be solved. People are people to be loved. C.S. Lewis said, you don't meet a mere human being every day. Everyone you encounter has been made in the image and likeness of God and they have inerrant value and worth. So you are not a people fixer. You cannot do that. People are not problems to be solved. People are people to love. That's what Jesus is correcting. And then he says this, poor judgment happens when you hold non-Christians to a Christian standard. Look in verse six. Jesus uses a little bit of cultural language, but God forbid we study the Bible and learn something at church, right? Look at verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs. So Jesus is Jewish, right? Some of you, that just blew your mind. You're like, what? Right? Right? Jesus is Jewish and comes from a cultural background. And so if you know anything, if you've ever traveled overseas, India or anywhere, dogs, cats, they sort of run rampant sort of in a town. They're always around sort of garbage piles. They try to survive. They're considered very, very unclean. (laughs) And everybody else in all parts of the country think, uh, American, Western people are so strange. Like, we let our dogs lick us in the face. And they're like, uh, do you see what else that dog was licking, bro? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so what G- Jesus is using cultural right here, okay? He's saying dogs and then pigs, right? Have you ever seen a pig refuse something to eat? Oh, right? And there's some study, too, that actually what pigs eat, the slop, is actually dead, deceased pigs that are ground up and fed back to them, Okay. Here's what Jesus is saying. Why would you place something in front of someone when they don't recognize the value of it? Why would you hold them to that standard? And so I am so down, so down on Christians that go, I mean, did you see what Madonna did at the halftime show? Mm, Judgments awaiting her, brother. Newsflash, newsflash, look up here. People who don't love Jesus act like they don't love Jesus. Any questions, okay? And what Jesus is saying is, what are you doing? You're in the kingdom of God. You live under my rule and under my reign. Everything in your life is innately different from the world. So why in the world are you trying to, quote, judge the world when they live by different standards? You know what one of the best things, like really been fun for me studying the Sermon on the Mount is watching how the rest of the New Testament is built upon this crucial teaching. Every one of the apostles mention the Sermon on the Mount in their letters. And the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? Just got awkward in the room. You know what I'm saying? listen, if you ever want an awkward devotional time, read 1 Corinthians 5 out loud with your family, right? It's weird, man. You got a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law. I'm telling you, bro, the Bible's got some... Like, if you thought Jerry Springer was crazy, man, the Bible's got a lot of stuff in it, okay? But here's what we try to do. We try to put it in boxes. Don't read that verse. Don't do this. Don't do that. We Jesus. What would I like the Bible to say? Rather than, what does the Bible say? And the Apostle Paul's correcting the church in Corinth and saying, hey... You live in the kingdom of God. Don't be concerned about what's happening out there and try to judge them by these standards because, listen, y'all got enough crazy going on in your church that you need to deal with yourself first. You see, Jesus is dealing with us in this passage. We're letting him speak on his own. But there are things that we are just strictly, that are out of our jurisdiction to use a legal term, that we absolutely in no way, shape, or form can judge, Christian or non Christian alike, according to the Bible's teachings. Pastor James McDonald puts it this way The first thing that we're not supposed to judge is this motives. Motives. You can't judge motives. You, listen to me, you have no authority to say, Well, I know why she did that. I know exactly why he did that. Really? While you're at reading people's minds, could you give me next week's lottery tickets while you're at it, please? You can't judge motives. You don't know what's going on inside someone's heart. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. What time? Before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each will receive his commendation from God. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. How in the world can you say, I know why they did that? I know exactly why they did that. Now, one of the things that we're actually commanded to assess and look at in Scripture is fruit. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit, right? But we're not headhunters. We don't go around going, I know exactly why they did that. You can't judge motives, right? The second thing is this, you can't judge appearances. You can't judge appearances. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter seven. This will be on the screen. Do not judge by appearances. You're like, wow, Jason, it's like your points come from the Bible. Yep, right there, right? (laughs) Secondly, But judge with right judgment. Jesus says you can't judge people by the way they look, by their skin color, by their socioeconomic background. And don't believe the lie that Christians have gotten it all together. Dr. Martin Luther King said if you wanted to know the most racist time in America in the 1950s, attend church on Sunday morning at noon. You're the 11 a.m., so you're supposed to respond a little better than the 9 a.m., but I understand. It's okay. Who are we to judge people by their appearances? And down with Christians that post stuff on social media like, I was at Walmart today, and it took forever to check out because the people in front of me had the food stamps, and they looked like this, and the trash. And Really? Really? It's funny how you judge someone living off of welfare when your salvation depended upon the welfare of God. For we were saved by grace through faith, and it is not of your own doing. How dare us judge people by the way they look? And then lastly, this, we can't judge harshly. Look at what Jesus says. Drop down to verse 12 here. So whatever you would wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophet's. Like I love, Jesus is very tweetable. Here's what he says. You want to summarize the Old Testament? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. How differently, look at me, how differently would your Monday look if you treated everyone around you the same way that you wanted to be treated? Because listen, no one else knows what you're going through. And everybody that you encounter has a story, and they have a name. And everybody is dealing with something. And the harshness that I see come from Christians' mouths sometimes is brutal. This is a picture of Francis Schaefer. He was a Presbyterian pastor in St. Louis. He had a profound impact on my life. And he makes an apologetic argument. And one of the things that he says is oftentimes non-Christians say, judged by the Ten Commandments, judged by the life of Christ, morality. We are so advanced. We have iPhones now. Are you kidding me, right? And Francis Schaeffer says this. Okay, let's say at the end of your life that there was a little tape recorder in your voice box. And right before you died, passed into eternity, the tape recorder played. And every judgment and every criticism that you laid upon someone else, the question that was asked of you right before you died is, Did you even live up to your own standards? He's proving a point. And what he's saying is exactly what Jesus said. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In no way, shape, or form are Christians supposed to be the meanest people that someone knows. So then what's this supposed to look like? This verse that's so taken out of context, that's so misused all the time. Jesus shows us clearly what it's not supposed to be. But now he shows us what it's properly supposed to be. And proper judgment happens when this. Number one, I evaluate my own sins first. You see the keys in verse 5. I want you to look at verse 5. John Stott helped me with this. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. So what's Jesus doing? He's not just saying, mind your own business. He's not just saying, don't judge. He's correcting the way that we do that. He's showing in the kingdom of God what this is first and foremost supposed to look like. That's why he uses the word first. He's teaching us something. And he says, first, evaluate your own sins, your own relationship with Christ. Because how quickly would things change? If instead of being so busy with so-and-so and your spouse and your kids, and this, and the coworker, and that, you first assessed your own relationship with Christ. It would breed a lot of humility, I would think. Just recently, I told you that my wife and I had the privilege of um, going down and performing a wedding, and, and we flew on an airplane. It was my wife's first time ever flying on an airplane, ever, ever, ever in the history of the world. So I got her super doped up on Dramamine. And no, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Didn't do that. And so we're there, we're going through everything. And here's what's funny, like we got to the gate and TSA, the security place, chose our flight as a random security check. And so she was like, great, there's a terrorist on the plane, awesome. This is happening. All my greatest fears come true, you know. And I've flown before. And oftentimes when you fly, you forget, like, what the flight attendants are telling you about the flight, right? They do that big speech. You know what I'm talking about? This is your seat belt. This is, you know, the exit and all that stuff. And if you're sitting in an exit row, do you know what they ask you? Are, you? are you prepared to take the responsibility to open this exit door for everyone on the plane to sit here? And you're like, oh, oh my goodness, I have no idea, Right? And so, but now they don't even do the speech anymore. At least the flight that we were on. They don't do the speech, they show it on a screen. Which I think says because we pay more attention to screens than we do people, which is an entirely different sermon. But anyway, anyway. And so on the screen, they're like, you know, in case of turbulence or this or that, you know, make sure your seatbelt's tightened. And then the oxygen mask. And then they showed this picture that popped up. Place the oxygen mask on yourself first before helping small children or others who may need your assistance. Why do you put the oxygen mask on yourself first so you can help someone else? Look at me, look at me. No one needs the gospel more than you do. Before you go dishing anything else out, no one needs the gospel like you do. And what Jesus is saying is evaluate yourself first. How in the world, imagine being on an airplane, the window's blown out, you're trying to help all these other people and you just pass out and die because you didn't have any oxygen on, right? You yourself have to be getting this in order to be giving this. And Jesus says, evaluate your relationship first. And then he says this secondly, then... I engage my brother's sins second. Because John Stott asked this question, and this is profound. If Jesus says, first, take the log out of your own eye, where's the word second? It's not in there. But the word then is the joining phrase that takes you back to the main idea. Okay, we're going back to English class. He says, then you will see clearly to take the speck, and then here's the phrase Out of whose eye? Are you looking at your Bibles, or I have to preach angry today? Right? Out of whose eye? Your brothers. I saw the word brother this morning more than I did all this week, and it just changed everything about the sermon to me. Brother, this is within the kingdom of God. This is a family issue. Because listen, most of the time, if we, like everybody wants Jesus and everybody wants to live a kingdom life until Jesus actually presses in on us. And what he's showing us is that as Christians, we have responsibility to our brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not just going to live a self-centered life. You're also responsible for other people as well. But here's what happens. Anytime we're challenged by another brother or sister in our life, we hit the eject button and we completely leave community. Because we think the issue is acceptance. If they really see my sin, and if they really walk with me in this, and they really won't love me. And that's the exact opposite of the gospel. You see, in the kingdom of God, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So for Christians to be dealing with this, it's not an issue of acceptance. It's an issue of obedience. And Jesus is saying that we have this responsibility. Maybe this will help. This is a picture of one of my favorite authors, a gentleman by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien. J.R.R. Tolkien's the author of The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Um, and Forbes magazine actually said that he is one of the top 10 best-selling dead authors of all time, which means he's selling more books dead than most dudes are alive. Like, it's just incredible. But as he was writing The Hobbit, he had a deadline that was quickly approaching. And his publisher and editor just kept calling him saying, we've got to get this done, we've got to get this done. And he sent the first draft off to a friend to read. And his publisher called him and said, your deadline is due. We've got to have this manuscript in. And J.R.R. Tolkien said, I'm going to be late because I'm going to rewrite the first three chapters of The Hobbit. And the editor said, no, 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 you cannot do this. No way that you can do this. Why are you doing this? And J.R.R. Tolkien said, because, and the phrase that he used was, I had excellent criticism and sound judgment from a dear friend and reader of mine. Who was the dear friend? Just a no-name guy by the name of C.S. Lewis. And many people think that if he would have released the first draft, it wouldn't have been that successful at all. J.R.R. Tolkien had a friend in his life that made a proper judgment to take out chapters in a book. The kingdom of God is equipped in such a way that God has placed people around you to edit some chapters out of your life. And to edit some future things that have not yet happened, but they beg you and they beseech you and they say, I've been so broken over this. I've been so broken over this because I have seen myself in this scenario. Tim Keller says, what makes biblical community and marriage so difficult is what you find, what you don't like about your spouse or another person is often a reflection of what you don't like about yourself. And so when you're in that and you go, I've dealt with myself. I've seen my own sins in this. And so we've got to come together and do this. And listen, here's the sentence. You cannot have the blessing of Christian community without the burden of Christian accountability. You can't have it. Everybody wants to drink coffee, eat donuts, sing Kumbaya, and sprinkle fairy dust on everyone. But no one wants the responsibility that Jesus is laying upon us. And what he is saying is when you first engage yourself and you understand how beautiful the gospel is and what I did for you, the grace that permeates from you and comes from you will force you to engage your fellow brother and your fellow sister in Christ. So how do we do this? And that's what Jesus shows us. Most scholars believe that verses 7 through 12 Before Jesus gets into a tree and its fruit, and I never knew you, and all of that, these verses were purposefully put there by Matthew because they sort of don't make sense on their own. Everything in the Sermon on the Mount has had a logical conclusion and a frame of thought, and it's sort of like a grocery list. It's sort of like he tags it on. But here, most scholars believe, is he's expounding on how to properly judge and do this within the kingdom. So, how do we do this? Well, the first is this we do it carefully. Very carefully. We can draw that from what Jesus says about dogs and pigs. You need to assess how you're going forth and doing this. You need to be very careful about how you deal with this. And do you know what I always love anytime Jesus deals with confrontation? You see, our world thinks confrontation is a bad thing. All change comes from confrontation. All change. Why would not you get a new gym membership? Because one day you looked in the mirror and were confronted with what you saw, right? Let's just be honest. Why would you change your diet? Because the doctor got a rap sheet and you were confronted with those numbers. All change comes from confrontation. But what's different about Christian community is that it's carefully done. And what I love is Jesus never gives us a number. Like after you've met with this person three times, then hit the eject button. He never says that. He constantly says over and over, pursue, 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 which leads us into the next thing. We don't do it just carefully, but we do it prayerfully. Jesus is saying in verse 7, ask for wisdom in this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Look at verse 10. Or if he who asks for a fish will give him a serpent, if you then who are evil... Sounds like a judgmental statement to me. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things? What Jesus is saying is you're careful with this. You're prayerful with this. And you're going before the Lord going, God, this is my responsibility with my brother and sister in Christ. Because here's the difference with the world and the kingdom of God. The world hits the eject button when you call somebody out. And you got to get your own. And, and, And I'm out of here, man. I can't believe that you would do this. And we lie and we say that it's out of love and that love would never do anything like this. But what Jesus is saying is love pursues relentlessly. And it begs and it calls and it pleads and it beckons. And it says, Christ paid for that. You don't have to go that direction. And so we're careful. We're prayerful. And then the last thing is this. It's tender, one theologian said it this way, before you ever talk to that person about what God has said, have you cried to God about that person? Before you ever approach someone and bring something up about God and his word, have you been in front of God and wept over that person in that issue? Because I believe that that forever changes the tone from that point forward. So what's Jesus saying? How do we assess this? I love what John Chrysostom says, one of the early church fathers. Correct him not as a foe, nor as an adversary, exacting a penalty, but as a physician providing medicine. Listen, look up here. Don't miss this. Christians don't yield truth like a baseball bat. Christians yield truth like a scalpel. And we say that was in my life and I've needed to cut this out. And in light of that, I've recognized our life together, going to church together, being in community group together, being a part of a church together, that we've done these things together. But it's not as a bat. It's as a scalpel. So what's the big idea? What's Jesus trying to say? It's this unity within the kingdom of God is the responsibility of the people of God. This is not an isolation. You cannot live the Christian life alone. So, judge not is self defense or self righteousness or this banner or anything like that. If anything, Jesus is teaching us how to do this properly because look, church is difficult. And I don't know if you know this, but maybe you're a lot like me. Every day I'm two steps away from stupid in my life. And some days I'm just stupid. You know what I mean? But God has placed people in our lives to help us edit future chapters, to give us excellent sound criticism. Because why? Because unity in the body, unity in the kingdom of God, is the responsibility for the people of God. The band's going to come up and lead us in a specific time of response for communion. But I want you to understand this, because I know what some of you are saying. Jason, that's not love Because we've adopted the world's standard of love. That love is tolerance and compromise and sunshine, rainbows and fairy dust and all of that. And yes, Jesus did say, John 13, 35, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. By the way that you love each other. So, the question that we have to ask is not eisegesis, but exegesis. What's the Bible standard of love? And let's go to the famous cheesy wedding passage that's always read out of context that has nothing to do with the wedding. Ready? 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love cannot bear with wrongdoing, and Jesus is teaching us how to correctly go about it. Do you know what the gospel standard of love is? The greatest act of love was shown in judgment. The greatest act of love was shown in the harshest judgment ever. For it pleased the father to crush the son. And the chastisement was laid upon him that brought us peace. And by his stripes we are healed. How much does God hate sin? He crushed his son for it. Why should we be tolerant of it? But at the same time, theologians say that the gospel is like a diamond, that when you hold it up to the same light, you get many different facets and assets of color in that. What was also the greatest act of love was there upon the cross when Jesus took our sin and for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The greatest act of love is seen in truth. So I have some questions for you. The first one is this. Do you have these kinds of people in your life who love you enough to place the friendship on the altar of truth and grace and say, you may never talk to me after this again, but it is my responsibility to bear this unity. Or how about this? Are you this person in someone's life? Because we want to build, we want community without accountability. But Jesus says, you can't have that. And then this, this is the last question. Imagine with me, what would your life look like if you did? What would your life look like if all those years ago, you had a friend who gave you excellent criticism and sound judgment and said, this chapter is no good in your life, but this is the proper way. In your bulletin, you've got a prayer of confession and assurance. I would have you grab that and stand right where you're at and listen to Pastor Tyler as he leads us in a response for communion today.
0: I'm going to read a portion of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I want you guys to hear the word of the Lord to be read and see how we are to approach the table. I think you're going to find it's very similar to what we've heard this morning. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Pay attention to these next verses. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would have not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. We see in this text and this passage the same way that we approach ourselves and then the sin in our neighbors and our brothers and sisters in Christ's lives is the same way we approach the table. That first we examine ourselves we look in our lives and see what do we need to confess to the Lord what do we need to leave behind us examining ourselves and then approaching the table so by way of responding to that can we just read this prayer of confession that you have in your hand aloud as we examine ourselves we will read the bold and underlined portions aloud together and I will read the other portions as a call let's read aloud together most merciful God We, your church, confess that often our spirit has not been that of Christ, where we have failed to love one another as he loves, where we have pledged loyalty to him with our lips and then betrayed, deserted, or denied him. Forgive us, we pray, and by your spirit, make us faithful in every time of trial. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. West side, who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. But Christ suffered and died for us, was raised from the dead and descended on high for us and continues to intercede for us. Believe the good news. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Let's respond together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Please come forward as you feel led to receive communion as we respond in song.